Just say up front, you know, I like to use this phrase, you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road, and I think that is definitely true when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, on one side of the road, there are people that are, uh, are branches, maybe even the church, that are obsessed with the Holy Spirit, that uh, are doing maybe some kind of off-the-wall things in the name of the Holy Spirit, going beyond Scripture and, you know, attributing things to, to the Spirit of God that it really has nothing uh, to do with. And uh, that can scare some people off when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so some people kind of overreact and then get in the ditch on the other side of the road and basically try to function and live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, uh, some Christians treat the Holy Spirit like our pituitary gland. And here's what he means. I mean, like when you think pituitary gland, most of you probably heard of the pituitary gland, right? Uh, but unless you're a nurse, you probably don't really know what it does. I don't know what it does. Uh, I think it's in the brain. Is that right, Sherry? Okay. It controls something, I guess. The endocrine system? Okay, I learned something today. That's, that, that's good. But I knew we had a, a pituitary gland, but just don't understand it, don't know why it's there, don't know what it does. And he says, and I, J.D. Greer says, and I think he's right, that's how a lot of people treat the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like the pituitary gland. You know he's there, but you don't really know uh, why he's there, what he does, or how he works, or uh, something like that. So I, I'm hoping to change that today, okay? I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit won't be like our sp spiritual pituitary gland after we're finished uh, this morning. Um, do you ever get frustrated? <laughs> um, do you ever get frustrated with yourself? I do. Do you ever get frustrated with yourself spiritually? Um, do you ever like, get frustrated because like, you know more than you live? You ever get frustrated because you believe more than you live? You ever get frustrated because, like, you know God's with you, but it just seems like, you know, don't necessarily always sense his presence? Or, I mean, do you, do you feel like, like a lot of times, I mean, I feel it's like, I know I ought to do this, but it just doesn't seem like, you know, I, I get it done. And practically, that's a lot of the importance of the Spirit of God in our lives. Really, as, as Christians, there's one of two ways we can live. We, we can live in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own natural person, you know, in our own sin nature, or we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's really not any other options. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit, so you're just stuck with yourself, with, with your own sin nature, with your own natural person. Now, I understand some non-Christians naturally may be like better people, you know, in the flesh than some Christians, but we're still functioning apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, which means we're functioning naturally instead of supernaturally, and so we're living with a lot less than God has for us. We're going to be frustrated as Christians if we're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit because we're trying to do it on our own, which we were never really designed or equipped to do. The Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. I became a Christian when I was nine years old, which uh, that means that 
you know, even though I was just a kid and like I wasn't an axe murderer, I wasn't riding with the hell's angels or something like that, I, the Holy Spirit showed me that I was a sinner, that I could not save myself. I knew that my destiny was hell and that my only hope was Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died for me and who rose from the dead. I didn't understand nearly all of it, but I knew enough to know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, and that I had to place my faith and trust in him. And so uh, he saved me. But, you know, I mean, when, when you're nine, it's not like, uh, you know, you're at a place in life where your life is just going to radically change outwardly by becoming a Christian. I think that's why sometimes the, those of us who got saved when we were kids, you know, I went through this struggle, you know, is it real did I really get saved? You know, all those kind of things and, and, and went through that at different times. But, but I'll tell you what, outwardly, practically, tangibly, where my life began to change. Two things. One, when I was in about eighth grade, I think, somewhere along those lines, I began to read the Bible on my own. Like a chapter a day, something like that was where I started. You want your life to change? Get in God's Word. You can't grow spiritually apart from it. I mean, you're trying to do it on your own if you're trying to live your life apart from the regular intake of God's Word. It would be kind of like trying to run a race or do a weightlifting competition or play a basketball game or something when you have been you know, fasting for days before it. I mean, the sickest I think I might have ever gotten in my life is one time after I had my wisdom teeth uh, taken out, and, and I was on a liquid diet, and I tried to play a basketball game. And I got so sick uh, after that. I mean, if, we don't, if we're not intaking spiritually, we're not going to be strong enough to do what we need to do. But then, beyond that, when I was a little bit older, sometime in my teenage years, so a little bit over, around 30 years ago, maybe just a little bit more than that, I stumbled across by accident a book by Tim LaHaye. Now, some of you know Tim LaHaye from the Left Behind series. I've never read any of those books, uh, but he's written a lot of other books uh, before that. And this was a book about uh, your temperament and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it changed my life. Um, I, and, and what I've come to learn about me and about other people is... Um, you know, when I'm walking in the Spirit, and you know, we, the Bible says we can quench the Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But when I'm walking in the Spirit, that's when I am more of the person that God wants me to be. When I'm not walking in the Spirit, um, that's when I struggle. You know, in the power of the Spirit, that's how we resist temptation. In the power of the Spirit, that's how we live above our circumstances. In the power of the Spirit, that's how we serve God. In the power of the Spirit, that's how we treat other people uh, the, the right way. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how tangibly Robin would discern this, but I can discern it. I'm a much better husband when I'm walking in the Spirit than when I'm not. I'm a better dad when I'm walking in the Spirit and when I'm not. I'm a better pastor, a better preacher when I'm walking in the Spirit than, than when I'm not. Because, you know, if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're kind of living on our own, in our own strength. 
When we are filled with the Spirit, we're living in God's strength. So God doesn't want us to get in that ditch on the side of the road of thinking we don't need the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I think one of the things that can be frustrating about being a Christian is we know all these truths and we've experienced Jesus and we've been saved. And it's like, man, sometimes it's like, God, why don't you just take me to heaven so I wouldn't be here to screw it up so much uh, on the earth. But, you know, we have to grow. We have to uh, you know, do some certain things. And we have to, one of those things is living in the power of the Spirit if we're going to be who God has uh, really, you know, called us to be. Um, maybe a simple analogy is about 10, 11 years ago, I tore my ACL, which is one of the ligaments in your knee, playing basketball. And I had to have surgery to repair it. And, you know, when they did the surgery, they fixed it. I mean, it was normal. It's probably better than, than normal. And, and, you know, I had nothing to do with that. Thankfully, I was asleep uh, while, while that was happening. You know, somebody else did that to me. And that, that's like a picture uh, of salvation. You know, Jesus did it to us and in us and for us. We didn't really have anything to do with it. It was all by his grace. But, you know, even though that was fixed, it really wasn't in a sense because it wasn't like I got up and went and played basketball the next day. Right? I couldn't even walk on it the next day. I was on crutches for a few days. And then I was on one crutch for a few more days. And then so on and so forth. And I had to take some anti-inflammatories. And I had to ice it. And I had to do uh, rehab. And I had to work out. And it was like seven months before I could play basketball again. Because I was fixed. But it was a process of growing into that repair. So it was strong enough. to So I could really do everything that I wanted to do. And I think think in a sense, that's a picture of the Christian life. It's salvation, you know, we're justified, we're fixed, we're forgiven, we're right with God, but then it's a lifelong process of growing into what Jesus has done for us. And so the thing is, how are we going to do that? Well, think about what we've been talking about in Ephesians, and I just kind of want to add one more element to that this morning. You know, our main idea for the second half of Ephesians has been we live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us. But what we're going to see today is we do this through the filling of the Spirit in us. That's how all this fits together. You know, the first three chapters of Ephesians is what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. God shows us, Jesus redeemed us, the Spirit secured us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Chapter two, that God has done a work of reconciliation in us. Chapter three, we're not only reconciled to Him, but we're reconciled together, Jews and Gentiles, in one body, His people, His church. And then uh, we transitioned into uh, you know, the second half, the practical. Uh, section of it, chapter 4, verse 1, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling. So he, he gives us these commands, and we've looked at, at several commands over the last few months. Walk worthy, walk in unity, use our spiritual gifts, uh, live as a new person, walk in love, um, uh, walk in the light, uh, walk in wisdom. Justin talked about that last week. Well, how do we live out these commands? Well, we're going to look at a command today. It's really, it's a twofold command, a negative and a positive command. But the key to obeying these other commands is by obeying the command that we're going to read about today. Why? Because we live out 
what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us through the filling of the Spirit in us. Listen, we can know that Jesus has done all these things for us, but if we don't actually experience what he has done, uh, or if we're going to actually experience what he's done for us, it's by the filling of the Holy Spirit who is in us. So with that, to hopefully set this up, let's read uh, this scripture, just picking up from where Justin left off last week and this section where he said walk carefully. How do we walk carefully? We walk carefully by walking in wisdom, by making the most of the time, the opportunities that God gives us, by um, uh, you know, knowing what the will of the Lord is. And like Justin said, God's will is God's word. And uh, so with that in mind, he picks up by saying in verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. And you see the two commands there. Don't get drunk. That's the negative command. The positive command is to be filled with the Spirit. And that's really um, you know, what we're primarily going to focus on. But we're going to like, move ahead and then come back to that. We're going to look at the results of being filled with the Spirit. So let's read verses 19 through 21. It says, uh, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always uh, to God the Father, giving thanks always for all things, sorry, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And, and so, like I said, you know, the, the big idea of all of this, we live out what he expects of us by living out of what he's done for us, but the way we're going to do that is by living uh, you know, under the control of the Spirit who's in us, and we're going to talk about what that means. But first, let's talk about the results. Because, and, and what I want to do by starting here is, is I want to motivate you, hopefully, as to the importance of this. It's like, why does this matter? Why do I really need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How is it going to affect my life? Because, let's be honest, uh, when someone is encouraging us to do something or believe something or whatever, we have this question, okay, how's it going to affect me, right? What, what's in it for me? And, and what I believe is in, in, in this for us is it can transform our lives. It can transform our relationships. This is the key to being the person that God wants us to be. Why? Well, I want to give you a principle that I think we see in these verses, and you see it really throughout the pages of Scripture, but it's this. What we are filled with inwardly determines how we live outwardly. What we are filled with inwardly determines how we live outwardly. I mean, think about what he's saying here. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, these things come as a result of that. And like I said, you see this in a lot of places in Scripture. Um, you know, think about what Jesus said. He, he, he said, it's not what comes from outside a man that defiles a man, but what comes from the inside. And he said what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's on the inside uh, it comes out of us in some way in how we live our lives. And, and this is so important for us to get. We need to own this. We need to own this. Because if we own this, I think it stops us from making a lot of the dumb excuses that we make. We're good at making excuses. That'd be a good place to say amen. I mean, it's just the truth. We're, we're good at making excuses. But as Christians, if... 
greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, do we really have a lot of room to make excuses. Listen, we blame a lot of things on circumstances. We blame a lot of things on other people. We blame a lot of things. You know, we're really taught in our society today, there's a real culture of victimization. And, 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 we're, and I'm not saying that some people aren't real victims, but I'm just saying in Christ, that's really not ultimately who we are. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. You know, in Christ, we're not really to blame things on things outside of us, but we're to own what's on the inside of us. You know, there's circumstances in our lives that we can't control, but we can control how we respond to them. And, and so here's the issue. Are we going to live our lives in the natural or in the supernatural? Is, is what comes out of us just natural or is it beyond that? What I'm saying is, if the Spirit of God lives in us, we have the capacity to live, to respond, to choose, to do things in a way that's beyond us, that's not just natural, that it's supernatural. And that's what God wants for us. What we're filled with inwardly determines how we live our lives outwardly. If I'm full of junk in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, that's what's going to come out of me. If I'm full of hate, that's going to get manifested towards other people. If I'm full of bitterness, that's going to get manifested towards other people. And you know who's going to get manifested towards the most? Those that are closest to me. Why do we love people and sabotage relationships? Because what we're filled with inwardly determines how we live our lives outwardly. Good intentions will never overcome who we are on the inside. But at the same time, if we're full of love, that's going to spill over to other people. If we're full of peace, that's going to spill over to how we relate to other people. I mean, look, look at what he says here, verse 19. He says that being filled with the Spirit puts a song in our heart. Now, is that natural? Not for most of us. There may be some of you that that's just kind of your personality. You're bubbly, and you may wake up singing in the morning. But I guarantee you that you're married to somebody that's the exact opposite. And this is going to cause a problem because that's just how life works, right? Circumstances. That, that's marriage, right? Uh, but su supernaturally, the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with him, he places a, a, a spiritual song in our heart. Think about verse 20. What's the Holy Spirit do? He gives us an attitude of gratitude. He, he you know, says here, giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we naturally thankful? No. No. We naturally grumble and complain and find what's wrong with something. And some of you are so wired this way, even if everything seems okay, you'll find something to complain about. Right? You'll find something that's wrong with something, or you'll find something. Uh, I mean, I used to tell one of my grandmothers that, that she would worry if she didn't have something to worry about. Right? Uh, well, you'll find something. It's not natural. But uh, what is supernatural is to live with an attitude of gratitude instead of grumbling. To thank God. To be thankful towards other people. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and then verse 21, he, he, he says, being submissive or submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, let me ask I know this is not natural. Right? Are we just naturally submissive say, oh, I want you to have your way? Or we naturally want to demand our own way? 
Once again, why is marriage so hard? I want my way. Robin wants her way. You butt heads. That's just life. So what's supernatural then is to be willing to submit to another person and their wishes and desires and uh, to look out for them instead of just looking out for yourself and try to do what's best for them. That's the work of the Spirit of God in us. That's part of growing up. That's part of maturing in Christ. I mean, think about it. Why are two-year-olds so difficult? I mean, there's many reasons. I mean, of course, the ultimate reason is they're cute little sinners. Right? That's their nature. And remember, what's inside of us comes out of us. What we're filled with inwardly determines how we live outwardly. Two-year-old. Perfect example. But two-year-old, right, they want their way. They're demanding. They're not going to submit it, so they're going to tell you no. There's probably a couple two-year-olds having a brawl in the nursery right now. They're like having to separate them because there's a toy that one of them, you know, thinks is his and somebody else thinks it's his and and they're immature and and we got to train them out of that. Well, see, we can act that way as adults a lot of times too. That metaphor would describe some of your marriages. And so the Holy Spirit has to train us, has to grow us out of that. In fact, if we went on, and this is what we'll get into uh, after the new year, uh, I didn't put the scriptures up, but I mean, if you look in uh, chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 4, being filled with the Spirit causes us to function properly in our family relationships. I would say this is the key to having a good marriage. I believe that with all my heart, because marriage is the sum of its parts. And, 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 and the key to marriage is not so much even the, the marriage relationship, it's who you are as an individual. And if two people are mature and godly and spirit-filled and Christ-like, that's the kind of marriage they'll have. But if two people are walking in the flesh instead of walking in the marriage, they're going to have a fleshly marriage, and there's going to be a whole lot of junk that comes out of that, and that's just how it works. Can we love the other person? Can we put the other person first? That doesn't come natural, but it's a wor- the work of the Spirit of God in us. I believe with all of my heart, after being a pastor now for 23, 24 years, being in ministry for over 30 years, being married for almost uh, 30 years, that many, if not most, relationship problems are not really relationship problems. They're internal spiritual problems that get manifested in relationships because who we are comes out the most to those closest to us. So you want to have a different life? You want to have better relationships? Let God change you from the inside out. Let me kind of take this step farther. Let's look in Galatians chapter 5 for a minute, and then we'll move back into verse 18. Another passage about the Spirit. He says, I say them walk in the Spirit. And basically, to walk in the Spirit would be to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis. To live as a lifestyle under the control of, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So once again, this is what I said before. There's only two options. We're going to live under the control of the flesh or we're going to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. There's really not any middle ground here because there's a battle going on inside of us. You ever feel that way? Verse 17 describes that. He says, for the flesh lust against the, uh, against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
There's a battle between your flesh, between your old sinful nature, and between this new nature, between the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It says in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, not only does being filled with the Spirit enable us to overcome living with license and, and, and antinomianism, but it also enables us to overcome legalism because we can never obey the law in our flesh. The only way we can actually obey God is in the power of the Holy Spirit. But then notice verse 19. It's the next three or four verses I really want you to get. It says, the works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And remember, a work is something we do. What we're going to do when we're living under the control of the flesh instead of the spirit, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, sexual sins, idolatry and sorcery, sins of idolatry. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, uh, murders, uh, relational sins, sins of, uh, of, of anger, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, you know, sins of the flesh. And the like means just kind of fill in the blank. Whatever's sinful, that's going to come out of us when the flesh is in control. This is why this is so important. This is why we have to get this and we have to live this. I mean, you ever like, and I'm saved. How can I sin so easily? How can I sin so much? You look at other people, they say, they're a Christian. Why are they living this way? Listen, a Christian living under the control of the flesh instead of under the control of the spirit is as capable of, sin, of any sin as any lost person is. That's the implication of this. We need the power of the Spirit in our lives. You know, just like I used this example about my knee, just like it was fixed, it was whole in one sense, but I wasn't strong enough, uh, you know, to use, really use it like it needed to be. We're saved, we're whole, we're forgiven, we're right with God, but we have to get strong through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to live it out, to use it, uh, and use what God has actually given us. So the works of the flesh, but then notice the contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would you like your life to be marked by that? Like your marriage to be marked by that? Your family to be characterized by those kind of characteristics? God's telling us in His Word... This comes through being controlled by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. What's inward becomes outward, manifested in how we relate to other people because all of life is relationships. At the end of the day, it really is. All of life is relationships. Say, and, you know, I, I want that, but, but here's, here's going to be the question. And this is like, you know, the vacuum, it just sounds like, you know, who wouldn't want to live life this way? Who wouldn't want that second list over the first list? But the question is, are we willing to surrender? Are we willing to die to ourselves? Are we willing to give up our self-control to live under the control of the Spirit? Are we willing to repent of our sin, or do we want to hang on to our, our, our sin? That's where this gets hard. That's where the rubber meets the road in our lives in every, every day. Who's going to be in control? Are we going to be in control uh, by our flesh? Is Jesus going to be in control by his spirit? But here's the thing we can't escape. We're going to get the fruit of the root of who is in control in our lives. There's no way around it. So, you want to change things outwardly? Change on the inside. You want to change your marriage? Change on the inside. Don't wait for your spouse to do it. 
You know, what's one of the most frustrating things to me as a pastor and doing marriage counseling, uh, you know, for year after year now is how many times, you know, couples have one problem that blows up into something big, and it, but it's easily fixable if somebody would just take the first step. And one's waiting on the other, and the other's waiting on the other one, and they're at this impasse, because, and they're just stuck, and they're building these big walls when, you know, somebody would take the first step, maybe they could tear it down, and then people, you know, move on to somebody else. People get divorced thinking that's going to be the answer, but listen to me. If you don't change on the inside, you're just going to repeat the same thing with a different person. That's why the divorce rate gets higher every time somebody gets married. And the people I know who have had successful second marriages, it's because they're either, you know, they were in the right in the first one and somebody else just wronged them, or they've made specific, tangible changes inwardly in their lives where they're a different person. Because the key to marriage is being the right person. If you're single, the key to marriage is not finding the right person, it's being the right person. That's all you can control. You, you can't control uh, anything else. You can't control the other person. You can't change uh, the, the other person. Be the right person and try to find the right person, not the one who has the big, most you know, outward characteristics. Listen, that's going to fade. That's going to fade. It's who somebody is on the inside. Listen, you've been married for 30 years like uh, uh, we have. We're not really even married to the same people. I was 19 when we got married. That's either going to be a really good thing or a really bad thing. Either we're going to have grown or this is going to be a pretty miserable experience. That's just life. I mean, I know it's Hallmark Christmas movie season, but life and marriage is not a Hallmark movie. This is how it really works according to God. So come back after New Year's and we'll unpack marriage for seven, eight, ten weeks, that kind of thing. So that's maybe just the, uh, that's the appetizer. So let's move on. All right, number two, and, and this is the key. Let's go back to verse 18. It's the idea. If we want to experience something different outwardly, we have to change inwardly. And this happens. We're empowered to live out what Jesus expects of us by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by living under the control of the Spirit of God. And so I kind of want to break verse 18 down for us a, a little bit uh, and, and help us understand what it's really saying and then try to help us apply it to our lives and we'll go home with that. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, let me just give a little background probably if we're going to understand this. And so probably the first thing we need to talk about just a little bit is who is the Holy Spirit? Because he may feel like the pituitary gland to you. You're like, I don't really know. And so just three quick uh, base, biblical basics about who is the Holy Spirit, just kind of in a way of review. I would say, first of all, he is the person of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's not a force. He's not a, a ghost. Is like maybe some of the old school translations that can be confusing uh, to that. He's God. He's spirit, but he is God, the third person of the Godhead. He, he's a person. He thinks, he wills, he acts, he communicates, and so on and, and, and so forth. But second, he's the presence of God in our lives. Scripture tells us that God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. God doesn't dwell in the, in a, in, uh, the tabernacle anymore. God doesn't dwell in the temple anymore that we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. The Bible 
Bible also says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're saved. He is the presence of God in your life. At the moment of salvation, he regenerated your heart. He gave you a new nature. He came to live inside of you. He baptized you into the body of Christ, and he sealed you until the day of redemption. He will always be in you and with you. And so sometimes we talk about or we pray for the presence of God. Listen, we don't pray the presence of God down. God is present in us with his spirit. We need to get ourselves in a place spiritually to uh, you know, recognize that and to uh, uh, experience that, but he's always with us. We don't have to pray him down. He's already come. That was settled on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He dwells me as a Christian. He indwells us as the church. And then he's, number three, the power of God in our lives. He's, he's God's power in us to be his witness He's our teacher. He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's our guide. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one who imparts spiritual gifts to serve the Lord with. That's who we're talking about. The Holy Spirit is. And you want to know how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives? I want you to think about this. So uh, some of Jesus' final words are recorded in John 14 through 16 as he's trying to prepare his disciples for his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then his eventual ascension to heaven. And the disciples were having trouble getting it, and they were kind of freaked out at the idea of Jesus leaving them. But Jesus said this in John 16, 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This is what Jesus was saying to his disciples who were freaking out. He's like, you want me to be here hanging out with you, but you are better off. It is, to, it is advantageous to you for the Son of God to stop hanging out with you and go back to heaven so that the Spirit of God can come and live inside of you. In other words, he was saying, you're better off with the Spirit of God in you than you are are with the Son of God with you. And so we didn't understand that we were like, man, I wish I could have seen Jesus and all these, I always, you know, uh, all these things. And I always think, listen, God is in us. So we really don't have a lot of excuse. Okay, next, there's a meaning of a couple of key words that I think that we, we need to make sure we understand in, in these verses, okay? Or this verse. The word dissipation in the New King James translation means wild living or senseless waste. So he says, don't get drunk with wine in which is wild living or which is senseless waste. That's, that's what the word dissipation means. And so uh, I'll just put in a plug next Sunday. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what does the Bible really teach about alcohol and we see here very clearly it's a sin to get drunk. So we're going to more focus on, you know, this question of can I drink at all? Can I drink in moderation? What scripture really teach about that? So I hope you'll be here for that. Hope you'll leave your uh, rotten fruit, rotten tomatoes, rocks, Thanksgiving leftovers at home, not throw stuff at me, unless you want to throw dressing. If you're going to throw anything, you can throw dressing. I'll take that. Uh, but besides that, uh, it's because I know some of you are going to think this is what I'm going to say is too liberal. Some of you are going to think it's too uh, conservative, but I hope you'll come, you know, with an open mind, a prayerful spirit, consider what does God really teach uh, about this? What does he really say in his word? So, but that's the meaning of dissipation. Another word we need to think about, which is the word filled. And so when it says be filled with the spirit. So when we think of filled, 
uh, I think we think of like filling a bucket or filling a cup, something like that. That's not really the best way to understand what this is saying in the Greek. Ultimately, it means to be controlled by, but, but John MacArthur points out three uses of this in Scripture, of this Greek word that's translated fill. Uh, he, he says, you know, first of all, it was often used of the wind fill, filling a sail and thereby carrying the ship along. So it's the idea that the Holy Spirit is God, like the wind in our sails. It's the power that carries us along in our lives. Uh, second, he says it carries the idea of, of permeation and was used as salts permeating meat in order to flavor and preserve it. God wants his Holy Spirit to so permeate the lives of his children that everything they think, say, and do will reflect his divine presence. And then third, it means total control, to, to be brought under the control uh, of something. So now, hopefully we understand those words, hopefully understand uh, some of the background of this. So with this in mind, let's look at verse 18 again. I just want to give you just a little bit more detail, okay? I want you to notice there's two commands here. You see that? What's the first one? Okay, don't get drunk, right? That a command, Okay. Second command is what? Be filled with the Spirit. And so I think part of the implication there is it's just as sinful, just as disobedient to not be filled with the Spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. I would say if we're filled with the Spirit, we don't have to worry about getting drunk with wine. I would say that actually getting drunk is a really bad substitute for what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Because why do people get drunk? They're trying to fill a hole. They're trying to soothe the hurt. The Holy Spirit can do that. He can give us peace and joy and hope and strength and guidance. And he's not going to hurt us. He's not going to lead to dissipation in the long run. You see here, there's a comparison here because you know when you get drunk with wine, you're taking something from outside of you and putting it inside of you, and it's taking control of you. Um, Holy Spirit coming from the outside of us, coming inside of us, and he takes control of us. That's the comparison. But there's a contrast, too, because getting drunk with wine hurts us. In it, there's dissipation. Being filled with the Holy Spirit helps us because he puts a song in our heart, gives us an attitude of gratitude, and gives us a submissive spirit. So that's the contrast that's there. Does that make sense? So, what's going to be in control? It goes back to that. But then, just take a little deeper. Uh, there's some little nuance here in the Greek text. So, when it says, and do not be drunk with wine, this is second person plural imperative. What, what does that mean? That means basically it's saying in, in East Tennessee, y'all, you all, do not get drunk with wine, but you all be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's everybody. All right, what he's saying this, this is not a command for preachers, missionaries, super spiritual, saintly type Christians. This is a command for every believer. This is the normal Christian life. So if we're not living, being filled with the Spirit, we're not living the normal Christian life as God designed it. We're living beneath our privilege. We're missing out on something very important and very good that God has for us. It's also in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing action. So it's not just a one-time thing. He's saying, be being filled with the Spirit is literally what it's not like. You get zapped one time and then you're good for the rest of your life. It's, it's to be an ongoing thing. But also it's in the passive tense, which means we're not doing the acting. We're being acted upon. We're being acted upon by the Holy Spirit, which would mean the posture to receive this would be a posture of surrender. 
So uh, to kind of put all that together, what this is saying then is the Holy Spirit is God. He's the person of God, the presence of God, the power of God in our lives. And if we're going to experience what God has for us ultimately, if we're going to be changed from the inside out, if we're going to be able to effectively live the Christian life, we're going to be able to relate to people in the right way, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, what we're filled with inwardly determines how we live outwardly. So when we live under the control of the Holy Spirit, He changes us from the inside out. He makes us into more and more like Jesus, more and more of the person that God wants us to be, so we can live life and relate to other people more and more in the way that He would have us uh, to live. And so He commands all of us to not... As Christians to not get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. So we have to be willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit, let Him have control. So the fruit of the Spirit, which fruit always comes from the root, is being produced in us by the work of the Spirit. Our only other option is to live under our own control, in our own sinful nature, under the flesh, and then we're going to get the works of the flesh. So which one do you want? That's what it boils down to. Are we going to hang on to our own sin, our own self-will, which in light of calling Jesus Lord doesn't even make any sense. it's, It's a deception that's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt the people around us. Or we can surrender to Christ. We can depend on the Holy Spirit instead of our own strength and let him change us from the inside out. How are you going to live? We live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us through the filling of the Spirit who is in us. That's the Christian life in a nutshell right there. That's the only way it's going to work. You can't find another way. There's not a workaround. There's not a shortcut. There's not a plan B. This is how God has designed the Christian life to work. So I think the, the, the closing question would then be, is if I want to live under the control of the Holy Spirit, how do I do this? And it's not a formula, and of course there's a lot that could be said about this, but just to wrap this up in two or three minutes, I'd just give you four simple statements. First of all, you have to become a Christian. Because you don't even have the Spirit of God in your life until you actually get saved. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have to come to the place of acknowledging, uh, admitting our sin, our inability to save ourselves, our need for God. We repent of our sins and we place our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, believing he's the son of God, believing he died for our sins, believing he rose from the dead, surrendering to him, confessing him as Lord. When we do that, we're reconciled to the Father, We're forgiven of our sins. We're then indwelled with the Holy Spirit. He's there. And then we have to choose to submit to him on a day-in, day-out basis. How do we do that? Remember, in the Greek, it's passive. It implies surrender. We can't be filled until we're empty. He can't be in control if we're in control. And so, listen, let's be real. Daily, this is the battle we face. Not just daily. Hourly, sometimes minute by minute, this is where the rubber meets the road. Who's going to be in control? Am I going to be in control or is Jesus going to be in control? Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We have to surrender to Jesus. Listen, he, he won't fill what's dirty. 
We can't hang on to sin and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to confess all known sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then I think we just simply ask to be filled with the Spirit. We ask the Spirit to control us, to fill us, to guide us, to help us, to empower us. We live in dependence upon him instead of our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, our own thoughts. We acknowledge that we're incapable of doing this ourselves. And we say, I surrender forgive me, take control of me, cleanse me, help me, guide me, strengthen me, use me. Your will be done, not my will be done. That's how we do this. And so, you know, we can hear this, but it's not going to change our lives if we're just hearers of the word and we're not doers also. So here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you right now. When we pray in a moment, just to ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to surrender to Jesus and just afresh and anew and ask the Holy Spirit to take control of you. I'd encourage you the next time you sin, do the same thing. I'd encourage you tomorrow morning when you get up to start your day this way. And when you blow it at some point during the day, do it again. Or when you're not really sensing God, do this again. And listen, I'm not saying you're going to instantaneously be perfect, but if we walk in the Spirit we will more and more experience the fruit of the Spirit. As He changes us inwardly, how we live is going to change outwardly. And as He's in control, I'm not saying you know, your circumstances are going to get better. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect, but we're going to be different, and we're going to handle those circumstances differently. And this is where power and victory uh, comes from, by relying on Him and not ourselves. I only got two choices, the flesh or the Spirit. Which one's it going to be? Listen. You can't live in the flesh and expect the results of the Spirit. And you can't continue in the flesh and expect somebody to come along and fix all the problems that come from the flesh. There's no shortcuts. There's no workarounds. Who's going to be in control? We only can live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what he's done for us through the filling of the Spirit who's in us. That's the Christian life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. How do you need to respond? If you're honest, what needs to change in your life? Maybe some of you, you need to take this first step today. And you need to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been trying to do it on your own. Maybe you've been trying to get to God by your own efforts. You just need to come to a moment of surrender in your life where you admit that you've blown it, that you're a sinner, that you can't make yourself right with God. And just to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, save me. And I just encourage you to do that right there where you are right now. As the Spirit of God works in your heart, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Lord, that He died for you, that He rose from the dead, just encourage you to confess that faith to Him. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. Call on His name. And ask him to come into your life and to take over, to forgive you, to change you, to make you a child of God. 
So you've got questions about that or you respond to the gospel today, come see me, see Pastor Philip, Pastor Preston, somebody you know here. Uh, let us answer your questions. Let us help you take your next steps. For those of us who are saved, the Holy Spirit resides in you. But is he presiding over you? You know. If you don't, those closest to you know because they're experiencing the fruit of it. So maybe this morning you need to let the Holy Spirit have control of you. Maybe there's sin in your life you need to confess. Areas of disobedience you need to repent of. Places of self-will that you need to surrender to the Lord Jesus. Once again, that's where this gets hard. Maybe you're trying to do it on your own instead of depending on Him. And Maybe this morning you just need to come to a place of surrender. Say, Jesus, take control. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit. I can't do it myself. I need your power. I need your help. Holy Spirit, I need you to change me. Please take control of me. Fill me up. Make me who you want me to be. Like I said, then it's living in dependence on him day in and day out. I'm going to close this in prayer, but I just encourage you, if you need prayer, if you have questions, if there's something you want to unpack with this, you want to talk about becoming a Christian, talk about how to be filled with the Spirit, come see me or one of our other pastors, somebody you know here. God, we thank you for your gracious gift of salvation. Lord, we thank you for the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving yourself to us to come to live within us. Lord, I pray that you forgive me, that you forgive us when we quench your spirit, when we grieve your spirit with our sin, trying to do things in our own strength. God, help us to die to our self-will, to our flesh. Lord, I pray that you would take control, and I pray that you would fill us with your spirit today. You should help us to walk in your spirit. God, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, Christians, pray for revival. Talk about revival. Talk about needing revival. This is revival. This is how it happens. And so I pray that you'd fill us and revive us, take control of us by your Spirit. And, and as you fill us inwardly, change us outwardly and change our relationships. And through that, just make us a shining light to those around us as they see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for everything you do for us. And we pray in Jesus' name.